Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. Alrighty, so... Um, if you need to get a hold of us at all, calvarydivine.org, calvarydivine.org. So you can go there and, and get all the information on the church, service times, prayer requests. Uh, if you make a, if you want to make a, a, a donation to the church, you can do that as your tithe there. You can do it. It's everything. We leave that between you and the Lord. And so, um, but we want to, uh, just thank you for, if you're tuning in online and for those that are here tonight and we just pray. Uh, as we get into this chapter, it's it's a lot because we leave chapter four last week. If you remember, they were being mocked. The enemy had appeared, and they were being mocked, and uh, they were being ridiculed. And then there were threats, and then they were they they threatened to kill them. And and yet they had a mind to do the work of God. They they stuck to the work. Nehemiah had them. Uh, focused on doing God's work. And it says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And so for us, the thing that we need to remember is that as they're building the wall, the enemy was attacking uh, externally. But now what's going to happen in chapter 5, the enemy is going to come from within. There's going to be opposition from within. And, and the Jewish people are going to start taking advantage of each other. Uh, there wasn't enough food. You've got to remember now the city walls are halfway done or more than halfway done. And, and, and people are beginning to return to the city. But the city wasn't prepared to handle all the people. And they didn't have enough food. And so what ends up happening is... Uh, people started to go hungry and they had to put up their houses, their land. They had to put up their, their kids. And, and all of this was, was happening within each other. And it was just the rich getting rich and they weren't following the laws of the Bible. And we, we need to remember, this is one of the things that, Dave, one of the things that Nehemiah talks about is doing things God, God's way. And that's what we're going to get from these chapters. But I want you to read what David talks about in, in Psalm 55, 12, verses uh, 12 through 14. Because this really kind of ties into what happens with Nehemiah. It says in, in Psalm 55, 12, it says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently uh, with me. I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house, and we walked with the throng. And so this is what's happening with Nehemiah. These were people that, that they would have known each other. They were from the same area, and, 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 and now the rich were beginning to get richer, taking advantage because they had the grain, they had the food. And it's sad because they were taxing them on top of it. And we'll look at this. As we get into it, in, in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there, uh, for there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let the grain that we may eat keep alive. There are also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there was also uh, those who said we had borrowed money from the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is, is as flesh of our brothers, our children are as their, are their children, yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. And some of the daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help for other men have our fields and vineyards. And so 
what we see happening here is you have four different groups that are involved here. And so out of the four different groups that are involved in this community crisis, so not only do you have uh, a, a, a strong amount of people coming back to the city, but you have a famine that's happening as well. And so you have in, in, in verse 2, you have the population, you have the people that own land, that, who own no land but needed food, right? And then you had families that were, uh, you know, the, these would have been families that the population was increasing and the families were growing and there was famine and the people were hungry. And they were working so hard on the wall they didn't have time to plant or take care of their crops. Now we'll talk about that because that's an issue. Uh, that's something that we need to be aware of right off the bat. They were so busy doing God's work that they weren't taking care of the essentials. What are the essentials? Uh, your relationship with Jesus. That's number one. Uh, what else is an essential? Your marriage. Your marriage. What else is an essential? Your family. Your kids. You know, God talks about discipleship. Do you understand that discipleship, if you have kids at home, that's, that's your, your training ground. That's your mission field right there. Your kids are your, your discipleship process. You're supposed to be bringing them up to know the Lord. But see what happened is these families were so focused on doing the wall, they didn't do the essential things that they needed to do to take care of themselves. And I've done this before. So anybody who says, well, I, I could never see myself doing that, you get so busy. And just a I, I can tell you guys' cars that I got in, you open the car and all the trash is flying out of it. Because they never had time to clean their car. They were always ministry, ministry, ministry. It's great doing ministry. But if it, if, it starts, if it starts impacting my marriage, I need to stop. I need to focus on the marriage. If it starts impacting my kids, I need to stop. And see, I'm still keeping Jesus first. But, but my essential is Jesus and then my marriage and my family. And so we have to, we see that's in that first group. And then we had the landowners who had to mortgage their property in order to buy food because the inflation was so high. The prices rose up and they couldn't afford it. And so they were having to actually have their, their homes repossessed or, or, or they would have money lenders chasing after them. And then we had the other group in, in, in verse 4. They complained about the taxes were too high, and many of the people forced, because the taxes were so high, they would have to borrow money just to pay the taxes. And it's almost like a, a payday loan type thing. Because it, it, they would pay the taxes, and then in a couple of days, it'd be due again. Right? And then in verse 5, you see the, they were, the, you had those that were exploiting everyone, the rich. They were making loans and making this, just this great amount of interest. And they were taking advantage of people. And not only taking advantage of people, they were using their children as collateral. And this is Jewish people doing this to Jewish people. They had children that were sold, uh, sold into slavery. And we see this happening today. Uh, you know, America, you know, at the end of the day, we were wrong for, doing, for having slavery. It's, it's wrong, but we see it happening again today with human trafficking and, and sex slaves that, that happen and it's coming across the border as we speak. We're, we're just as guilty of this today along with the rest of the world. I think I was reading the other day that the human trafficking business is a billion dollar business. It makes more money than any corporation why do you think the cartels are flooding people in? It's not because they're trying to run away from... It's because they, they have plans to do what they need to do with those people. And so sadly, we see this happening. And Nehemiah has to step in. And, and they were going against God's Word. That's why in Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 6, it says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Nehemiah is upset. He's upset. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 19 and 20, says, You shall not charge. And this is the law. This is, 
this is the law they were supposed to be following. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of. This is what they were given by Moses. And this is the law. And they were not following the law. And so Nehemiah is very angry. And what does he do? He, he takes in verse 7, he goes, I took counsel with myself. And that's important. Because a lot of times what we do is we allow our anger and our emotions and our feelings to pour out instead of taking counsel for, with myself. You know what taking counsel with myself is? It's actually sl slowing down, stepping away, praying, taking counsel with myself, seeking the Holy Spirit for what I'm supposed to do next. If we would do that, it would change so much in this world. Because everybody's emotions and feelings are just going 100 miles a minute. And he took counsel with himself. And, and he goes, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials and said to them, you're exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So he goes back. And what does he give them? He gives them the word of God. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 19. He tells them, hey. You, you, you shall not charge interest on loans to your brother. And I held a great assembly against him. And, and he said to them, We, are, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word. He's correcting them. And you know what? They couldn't find a word because it was God's word that convicts them. They didn't know what to say. They knew they were wrong at that moment. And that's what we need to do as leaders is when we're, and, and this is something that's very important. You're going to have times where you may have to step in with your brother or sister in Christ and share the word of God with them and correct them. And it's not an easy thing. But let me tell you something. You better take counsel with yourself before you go talk to them. You need to go pray about it. Don't be angry and start in your emotions and feelings. And you need, to, you need to pray about it. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you have the words to say to your brother or sister. And, and, and that's what Nehemiah is saying here. He's like, look, I'm angry, but it's righteous anger. I'm standing for the truth. I'm standing for God's word. And that's what we're supposed to do today. And there are going to be times in the, the world we're living in today where you have to stand for God's truth. You can't flip-flop. If God's word says it, God's word says it. You, you, can't, you can't change it. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise, a wise man quietly holds it back. That's what, that's what Nehemiah is doing. He's quietly holding it back, and then he went and spoke to them. And I love it says that they were silent and could not find a word to say. He confronted them. He's like, hey, you're doing wrong. And they had nothing to say. As they listened to Nehemiah, they were honest enough to face God's word and realize they were wrong. That's an awesome moment when people do that because it doesn't happen often. Because people do not want to be wrong in this day that we live in. Uh, they just, they don't want to be wrong. You know, I, I saw a lady got pulled over, and I'm sure you all seen the video. She pulled, got pulled over by a Hispanic cop in, in Los Angeles, and she, she threw out all these racial slurs at the guy. And all he was telling her is, hey, you can't be on your phone while you're driving. And instead of being compliant, she argues and argues and then calls him all kinds of names. And I just think to myself, I was like, lady, you're in the wrong. You got two phones and you're trying to drive with a kid in the back. And he didn't even give you a ticket. He just cited you and said, hey, don't, don't do it again. And you called for a supervisor. You did all this stuff. And I'm just like, what is wrong? And she's a teacher. 
She's a teacher. And so when we're, when we're speaking with someone, what my prayer is, is if they're doing wrong, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit convicts them and that they actually are convicted in that silence. And the best response is what happens in, in verse 9. It's not always going to be like this. So make sure you understand this. In Nehemiah uh, verse 9, it says, So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not, uh, not to walk in the fear of God? To prevent the taunts of the nation of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So he comes in and he says, hey, look, we need to change what we're doing. But one of the things he says right off the bat is like, do you not walk in the fear of God? Right? You're, you're, you're to prevent and taunt the nations, our enemies. He's like, what are you doing? Your reverence should be in, in Christ. Your reverence should be in, your fear should be in the Lord. And, and what are we doing? And Nehemiah reminds us again, he goes back to Deuteronomy 23:19. He's talking about the interest again. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brothers. Interest on, on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. He, he's trying to tell them, look, you're messing up. And I know that there's 1,613 laws in the Bible, but you know what Jesus did for us? He simplified it, very simply, Right? He simplified it for us because if we do it the Lord's way back in Leviticus 19 because this is the other verse that, that Deuteronomy 23.19 and Leviticus 19.18 these are the two verses that they were breaking the law with. In Leviticus 19.18 it says you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now that sounds very familiar because that's what Jesus simplified for us. Right? In Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, Jesus simplifies all 613 of the laws to these. And when the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he uh, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there is no other uh, commandment greater than these. And so what Jesus does is he connects the vertical, the love of God, uh, to the horizontal, the love of others. And those are the two things that are necessary. And those are the things that we're lacking the most in this country right now. We're lacking that in this country. We forgot that if we place our love in God, in Christ, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul and all our strength, and then we love our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. Even the teacher. She needs Christ. She needs Christ. Let me tell you something. Socialism won't have Christ in it. It's not going to be there. The church needs to be united in the message of Jesus Christ that we love our Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, but we also love our neighbor as ourselves. Why? Because nobody doesn't love themselves. You love yourself enough to feed yourself in the morning. Or at lunch. Or at dinner. Right? But the church needs to be united. And, and that's one of the things that we see. The struggle that happens as we see in Nehemiah is the same thing that happened in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9, through 9, it says, uh, What then is Apollos? What is, what is Paul? Servants though, uh, through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives, who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are, are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. 
For we are God's fellow workers. And you are God's field, God's building. And one of the things I love about that is he says what? Uh, so neither he who plants, neither he who waters is anything. Uh, so you're not that great. <laughs> right? right? It's one of the things that we, we learn in ministry. God doesn't need you. He, he, he'll replace you tomorrow. He doesn't need me here. He could put somebody else there tomorrow. And all. We, we can't think too highly of ourselves and think that, that, uh, that what my needs are come before my neighbor's. You know, I, I need to be loving my neighbor. If my neighbor is needing something or they're, uh, you know, they're in a place where, you know, especially because we've seen it with the tornado that came through and, and we've seen it with the ice, the snow bit thing that happened where we've seen people step up and help their neighbors and that's what we're supposed to do. And now with the election done and, and divine, that's the same thing that's supposed to happen now is we're supposed to be there loving on our neighbors and understanding that, that, um, that we're here to, to, to have the love of Christ. And, and through that, that agape love as we serve others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. And that there be no division among you, that you be, uh, be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Wait a minute. Right? Think about that. It's your church. Right? It says that, that by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. All. Not some, but all. And that there be no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when the brothers, brothers dwell in unity. It's good for us to dwell in unity. It's not good for, uh, for I, you know, I saw stuff that was posted on the election. It got a little nasty. That's not good. It's not good for the city. It's not good for the people of divine. It's not good for when a church down the street can't talk to another church. If we believe in Jesus Christ and He is the resurrection and the life and there's only one way, we agree. We're here to save souls. We can't have division among ourselves. And, and that's what's happening with Nehemiah. In verse 10, it talks about, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So Nehemiah shares how bad their sin is. He shares the word of God to them and that it was wrong. He's like, not only were you lending them money, but you were trying to get rich off the taxes and you were enslaving your own brothers and sisters. You were wrong. He says in verse 11, Return to them this very day, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and, their, and, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26 says, For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right? So it all belongs to God. And that's why Nehemiah is saying, Hey, look, you know, this all belongs to God. And what you're doing is wrong to your brother and sister. But I think to myself, you know, if it all belongs to God, you know, what, what do I have in my garage? Or what do I have that God's telling me it's time to, to let go of it? Right? He's telling them, hey, return it to them. I love that. Return it to them. Don't keep it. Return it to them. You're taking advantage of your brother and sister. You're, you're taking advantage of your neighbor. And we, we see what happens when we covet and we try to keep. It happened in Joshua chapter 7 with Achan in verse 20. It says, And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw... Among the spoil, a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver 
and a bar of gold weighed in fifty shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, within the silver underneath. That's probably the hardest words anybody will ever say is, I have sinned. I have sinned against the Lord. People struggle with that. You know, he was wrong for, for, I mean, it's not like God didn't know. God knew. And, and, and it's not like God didn't know what they were doing with, with the people in Israel at the time of Nehemiah. He knew. And, and Nehemiah was nipping it in the bud. Like, this is a sin. This is the enemy at work. We can't have this. So we, we looked at chapter 4 where the enemy was coming from. It was external. It was coming at them. And this is all, this is all eternal. This is internal within the, the people. But saying that I have sinned, that's what people struggle with. You know, one of the things I think of is when we read through uh, the triumphal entry is, is that verse in Mark eleven three. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it. Like if somebody was to say the Lord has need of it, would you actually be willing to say, okay, take it? You're going to be obedient to the Spirit. Or are you going to try to exact interest off your brother? Try to sell him an old jalopy car and try to make interest off of it. It's wrong. It's wrong. I've actually seen people, and this is when I, it's amazing when it happens where people will actually bless, and I know the brother that it happened to. His car broke down. He had no way to get back and forth to work, and somebody blessed him with a car. The Lord had need of it. They said that God put it on their heart. They prayed about it. They were being led by the Spirit, and they gave them a car. My dad was that way. My dad never loaned me money. Ever. When I needed help, he just helped me. And that's how I do my kids. But you got to be careful with that. Because what we see in the church is you'll actually have people who come into the church like wolves in sheep's clothing, and they will actually start taking advantage of people that have that heart. And they'll do it over and over and over, just like the people in Nehemiah's time. And, and, and it's wrong. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Doing the right thing, being led by the Spirit of God, that's what we're supposed to do. That honors God. In Nehemiah 5.12, it says, Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. And so we, we see repentance is what's happening right here. We will restore these and require nothing of them. They're doing exactly what Nehemiah is asking of them. Right? But what does Nehemiah say? Wait a minute. Go get the priests, the Levites. Can you get the priests? Because I want to make sure they promise on this. I'm going to hold them accountable to do this. It's a repent. It's an about face. It's actually, you know, we talked about that this weekend. It's, it's actually going one direction and changing direction towards the Lord. And unfortunately, what happens with a lot of people, and I've seen this, is they, they get caught doing something. They feel sorry. Right? Well, I'm going to go and, and I, you know, I struggle with pornography. I have these issues that are going on. My marriage is a train wreck. I've been doing all this stuff and meeting people on, on swipe right or whatever the thing is. I got caught. I'm going to go to the, the, the um, thing for, for pornography to help me with it. The, the, I forget the name of it, but they, it's online. It's, it's actually a, a place where they actually try to help you Walk away from pornography, and it's Christian-based. And then the person goes, and they write back to the same behavior two weeks later. And that's not repentance. You're just sorry you got caught. And it's sad because you're not only you're dragging your, your wife through that, you're dragging your kids through that now. 
Repentance is a 180 degree. It's actually turning away from the sin and turning towards God. That's what happened to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verses 8 through 10. It says, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this, to this house. Since he is also a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. See, repentance wasn't just merely Zacchaeus saying sorry. He actually, there was this outward transformation that happens. Repentance actually, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, says, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You're supposed to bear fruit. There should be some actual change that happens in you. It's sad, but we, we see people who will just stay in the same behavior patterns and never forgive somebody. They hang on to that unforgiveness and ends up becoming a sin in their lives. Or they have an addiction that they just can't break. But God can help you with that. Jer uh, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. You see what happens is we're supposed to be in fellowship with each other. You can't do that from your couch. You cannot do that from your couch. The fellowship is, is like we have, I have brothers that I have that will hold me accountable for things. You know, if, I, if I'm saying something or doing something wrong, my wife will do that. She'll let me know, hey, that, was, that crossed the line. And, and I need to do an about face and walk away from it. But see, one of the things that, that I pray is like when you give your life to Christ like Zacchaeus, right, and you have salvation, that you actually start bearing fruit. You start bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. That's why he says, hey, go get the priest because I want an accountability system here. I want to make sure these guys do what they are claiming to do. They're going to make an oath to God. They're going to confess their sins. And, and, and at the same time, they're brothers and sisters in our lives that we need to be honest with and have accountability with. And the reason why repentance is so important is because I've seen it in the church where people will get upset and they'll, in front of the person, say, I forgive you, or I'm sorry. And then three years later, they're still dealing with the negative thoughts, and they're still angry at that person. And every time that person does something, they get angry. They say something. They, they, they gossip about them, or they get upset about them. And, and what that is, is that's not true repentance. True repentance, when you, when you forgive your brother or sister, is done. It's cast as far as from the east to the west, and you need to walk away from it. Because what happens is when we, have the, we hang on to that unforgiveness, and we're just playing the sorry game, and we don't have true repentance, that, that's what causes division in the church. And that's what causes division in the church. Repentance is not a bad thing. It draws us to the Lord. I know we talked about this on Sunday. Repentance actually is a good thing. It's a gift of God. That's the grace that we have, the, the era of grace that we live in, that God forgives you. And repentance is not about a feeling or, or, or bad, bad over behavior, but it's more about a feeling of awe that delights. It's a delight towards God because you're, you're actually going to the Lord and asking God to forgive you. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, it says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. When he was talking to the church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And, and so what we see in Sardis is they, they were stuck in sin. And, and God was saying, Just be zealous and repent. And, and I will come in. 
I will come in. Psalm 103.12, y'all know the verse, is as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When you repent, Jesus forgives. If you're his follower, he forgives. Verse 13 says, I also shook out uh, the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep the promise. So, he, uh, so may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. Isn't that amazing when they actually do what they say they're going to do? Right? They, they, they actually praise God and then they follow through. And the, the tradition of shaking it out was like, Hey, if, you, if, you don't, if you're going to break this oath, God's going to shake every man out of his house. That's what that meant, the shaking out. And I love that the, the, all of the assembly, right, said what? Amen and praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. They praised God. And, and, and I'm sure there were probably people that were trying to figure out how they got into this mess. Can you imagine? There was probably Jewish nobles trying to figure out how did I get so hungry about money that I got into this mess that I took advantage of my brother or sister and I, not only that but I took their kids like how did I get here and, I, and I'm sure there are you at, at home or you know stuff that we've dealt with as Christians where we go how, how did I get to this point because see that's what sin does to you you know, it, 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 you have to understand it's like when we are followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit is not going to allow you to sit in that sin. It's going to constantly try to, try to move you towards the right relationship with God. And I'm sure, you know, these nobles were probably thinking to themselves, I, I don't know how I got to this place. But that's what sin does. It keeps you longer. It takes a lot out of you. And so we need to be prepared to have an answer for when temptation comes knocking at the door so we don't get involved in this stuff. Because we can get involved in this stuff at church with division and, oh, well, you know, so-and-so said this and so-and-so said that, and we start picking sides and, you know, it just creates cliques and divisions, and that's not what God's called us to do. He's called us to be united. And sometimes we get involved in something and we're like, how did I get to this point? The enemy tempted you and you bit and you went for it. And so we need to remember as, as we look at this, part of, part of them repenting is they come back to a relationship and they, what do they do? They praise, praise the Lord. The whole assembly. And what did they do? You know what's even more important? Is not only did they repent, but they kept their promise with God. And verse 14 says, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be the, their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So what he's saying, Nehemiah is saying, hey, look, the other governors that used to be here, they, they took advantage of y'all. They not only took their portion, but they would also tax some of y'all. They took advantage of y'all. That's not what we were here to do. I'm here to do God's work. I'm here to build the wall. That's what I'm here to do. And whatever God's going to provide me, God's going to provide me. And then he goes on in verse 15, the former governors who were here uh, before me laid heavy burdens. So that's what he's saying. He's like, they took advantage of you on the people and took from them their daily rations, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Man, if more people would fear God, they wouldn't be in the mess they're in today. Right? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. We know the verse very well. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fool despises despise wisdom and instruction. Where do you begin to get your knowledge? Is the fear of the Lord. 
It's, it's rooted in God and His Word. It's rooted in, in our relationship with Christ. I fear God because I, He's the Lord of my life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know, and, and at the end of the day, there has to be a reverence to who He is. Because that's, that's what we're called to as believers, to, to fear God. And if, if we are, if our fear is rooted in God and His Word, and through our relationship with Him, man, it's going it, to, your, your walk as a Christian would be so much easier. It would be so much easier. Nehemiah was amazing. He's dealing with all these different things. And the reason why he can deal with them, because you're looking at it as a leader, and you're going, how does he do all this? Because he feared God. It's the fear of God. He feared God. He was obedient to God. And you know what? He knew God's word. And he was a man of prayer. And, and that's what we need more of today. Verse 16 said, I also persevered in the work of the, on this wall. And we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered, therefore, the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep, and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. He, he could have demanded it, but he didn't do it. Right? And, and you see what happens is, is, is he's... At the end of the day, one of the things that we see is eventually, you know, Nehemiah is promoted to a place of great authority. He becomes governor of Judah because he, he handles these things. All these different personalities and all this different stuff with the money. And what does he do? He handles it with the Word of God. He doesn't take advantage of his, his office, his position, right? So for us as, as believers that are in leadership, we don't take advantage of our our office. We don't take advantage of the things that God has entrusted us with. And that's the same thing for those that are serving in the community. God has put them as the mayor. God has put them as the city council. God has put them as the governor, as the president. And so as, as God has placed them there, they shouldn't put burdens on the people and take advantage of the office that they hold. Nehemiah didn't do that. He could have. Everybody else did. But he didn't do it because he feared God. And he says in verse 19, Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. So the only thing he's saying, hey, Lord, remember me and what we're trying to do. He's in prayer. He's accountable to God. So what's our application tonight? When Nehemiah is consistently dependent on the Lord, are you? Nehemiah was a man who feared the Lord, had great godly character, and honored, the, honored God by the way that he carried himself. He, he feared the Lord. And so are we consistently dependent on the Lord as well? In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers, by... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You know, I read that and I think to myself, how are you worshiping to the Lord if you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice? What type of worship do you present to God? Do you do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind? That by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So for us, just as Nehemiah feared the Lord for us, in order for us to be able to be guided by God, we need to be conformed to the, uh, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing our mind with the Word of God. So that way we know the testing and temptations 
And we can discern what the will of God is. That's why Nehemiah, could, he knew what the will of God was. Second, how do you resolve conflict? Remember in this chapter, Nehemiah uses the word of God, truth, and the biggest thing that he uses is love. He stepped away. He allowed his anger to subside, and then he went at it and, and started dealing with the issue. Leaders bring unity, not division. Leaders bring unity, not division. Godly leaders bring unity, not division. Application. If, you, if, if God has need of it, would you help your neighbor? Remember, the Jewish people were taking advantage of each other. So if God has need of it, would you be willing to help a neighbor that's in need? Do you cause division or take advantage of a fellow believer? If so, you need to repent. And last, why did they run out of crops and food? They ran out of crops and food because their eyes were so focused on the ministry that they forgot about the essentials that God had placed in their life as well. Being a mom, being a dad, being a husband, being a wife. We place God first. And those other things are the essentials. Right? They're essentials. So don't neglect the practical things that we can allow. Ministry can take us away from practical things like marriage, our kids, our house. And, and I mean, I know that they're serious things that doing God and serving the Lord, but what happens is we forget the essentials. You know, you, you're, you're teaching discipleship in the home. Remember, ministry is great, but Christ comes first. I've seen some people where they serve in ministry and then uh, they don't even spend time with the Lord. They just spend all their time doing ministry. Don't allow the ministry to become a mistress. Remember, we need to keep focused on Jesus being first and then focus on the essentials. Spend time in your marriage. Spend time with your kids because they need it. Look at, look at our generation right now. Uh, where, is, where is the obedience to the Lord? Where is the fear of God? Right? They fear COVID more than they fear God. They fear the mask more than they fear God. They fear the, not having the vaccine more than they fear God. They fear like their voice is not going to be heard. So they, instead of peacefully protest, they tear the city apart. There's no fear of God. And so what we see happening is we see a... a, a a generation of kids with no fear of the Lord because the parents, I don't know where you're at, right? And the marriages are falling apart. Divorce rates are crazy. And that's divorce rates in the church, which is sad within itself. And so what we see is we see division in the home, division in the marriage, division in the church, and, and sadly, what happens is we neglect our relationship with God. And, and so my prayer tonight is if, if you're struggling, maybe you're fighting with somebody, stop. Love your neighbor. Okay? Love your neighbor. And, and especially here, uh, what I would say, like everything's over. The election's done here. Love your city council. Show them love. Help them so that you can do what's best for the city of divine. Okay? Because guess what? I, we were talking about it on the way up here. I don't care how much you want to try to keep divine divine. The city of San, San Antonio is growing so rapidly. The cities outlining San Antonio can't. They're growing too. People are pushing out. And it's going to continue that because there's more people moving to Florida and Texas than anywhere. So you need to get ready for it. You need to be ready to love your neighbor, that neighbor that puts up that five-bedroom house and, and you're like, I can't even see the, the, the hill country anymore, right? But you need to love your neighbor. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. We all do. And so let me pray. We'll close out in prayer. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being able to be in the book of Nehemiah. I pray for this city. 
I pray for the city of San Antonio as it grows and expands. I pray for Lytle and Natalia, uh, Casterville and Hondo. Uh, this area is all growing. And we pray for those that are new. Maybe they don't have the same views that we have. Maybe they don't have the same ideas we have. But I pray that we would be able to love on them, love our neighbor. And, and you know, at the end of the day, the, the reason why we love small towns is because the people are so friendly. And, and it's not, it's nothing like it is in the city. Everybody's in a hurry, right? Everything slows down. And, and you get to actually have conversations with people and love on them. And so I pray that we would be able to do that. I pray for the city. I pray for our mayor and our city council and also for, uh, for our, our chamber of commerce meeting on, on Monday. Uh, we lift up this town to you. I lift up this church to you, Lord. I thank you for us being able to be here. I pray for Sunday as we get into the book of, of Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, as we learn about discipleship. Uh, we just ask, Lord, that you just continue to bless us and, and guide us and direct us. And, and, uh, and, and for those that are uh, online, I pray that you would be with them, Lord. Uh, bless their marriages. Lord, if there's division in their marriage, bring them together. Uh, if there's division in the family, bring them together. But it takes step one, which is to fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. And so I pray that. I pray that we would all take a hard look at our lives and ask, do we actually fear the Lord? You know, do we have that reverence for God? Like if God come knocking on the door of your heart and he knows everything that's going on, is there something that needs to be taken care of that you need to repent of? I thank you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hope you have a wonderful night. Remember, if you need to get a hold of me, you can do that through calvarydivine.org. I'll see you on Sunday. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.